0: Let's hear the word of God from Jeremiah 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elassah, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, This is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague. And will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. And you exiles haven't listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I've sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, son of Messiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will deliver them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon, will use this curse. May the Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. In my name, they've uttered lies, which I didn't authorize. I know it, and am a witness to it, declares the Lord. This is the word of God.
1: Well, good morning again, church family. Good it's good to be with you this morning. It is so good to be able to come together each Sunday and unite our hearts in worship. This feels like home to me. Home is an interesting concept, right? What makes a home? How long must you live somewhere before it feels like home? Is it a building? The people? Familiarity, what, what, what is it? How long, real quick question, just to raise your hands. How long do you need to live somewhere before it feels like home? One year? Raise your hand. Five years? Two years? Ten years? Just give me a number with your hand, somebody. One, two, 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 five, zero. You're, just, you're home everywhere. I love it. It's a, it's a hard concept. I remember, when, I remember when I moved to Orlando to go to seminary and I lived there for about three and a half years. I lived there for three and a half years. It never felt like home for me. I knew it was temporary, I knew I was only there for seminary, and I lived like it. I actually didn't own a bed for the first two years of my time there. I was, I was a poor, I was a poor uh, seminary student in a youth ministry at the time, and I started off sleeping on a mat. Like, we had like, these like Korean mats that I used to sleep, my parents used to have. I slept on that and a sleeping bag on top of it for two and a half years. That's how I felt. I was actually really just lazy, but that's what it was. I actually had a bookshelf, a whole bookshelf that I bought brand new when I first moved to Orlando that actually stayed in the box the whole time I was in Orlando. I never put it together. True story, don't judge me. I was just living like that so I could have a sermon illustration for later on in life, all planned out. I, I worked it out, right? In all seriousness, you live differently if you think you're going to live somewhere only for a short period of time, don't you? If it's transitional time for you and you're only in a set location for a set purpose of time, for a set reason, you kind of live differently. I knew I was going for seminary and to work a job. Right? So I was like, I'm not really going to establish too many roots in Orlando. Right? It's not going to be my city. It won't be my home. It was just where I go for school. Some of you guys are actually probably here right now thinking the exact same thing. You might be here for a graduate degree, or you might be here for med school, or whatever it may be, and you're probably thinking, I'm not gonna put roots down, right? Because I'm only here for a transition in a very short amount of time. In our text this morning in Jeremiah, that's what we see happening with the Israelites. Now mind you, they didn't go for seminary, they didn't go for school, it wasn't by choice. Here's a little bit of a history, here's what, we ha- what happened. Last week, if you were here, you heard about Jeremiah's dark night, and that's not a Batman reference. I had to, I had to. I was thinking about saying that last week, but I didn't, so I had to do it this week. <laughs> but it was about his dark period, a season of depression, because he was giving a depressing message, a message nobody wanted to hear. It was a message of judgment and woe. It was hard. It was a hard message. It was a message of death and judgment, and nobody wanted to hear it. So he was depressed, and but we actually saw that following Jeremiah 20, we actually see that's what happens, right? Everything that he warned the people about actually happened. All the horror of Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 20 actually occurred. Gehenna, remember Gehenna, that term, actually happened. In other words, the word that Jesus used for hell actually happened outside the gates of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar the powerful king of Babylon, came, conquered the city, and there was weeping and there was mourning. And after it was conquered, there was bodies in Gehenna. And the people were cast off into exile in the Babylon. The nation that conquered them was now to be where they're called to live. And this was especially difficult for the Israelites who placed so much significance on the temple and the city of God, Jerusalem. Psalm 137 posed the question, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land, right? Stanley knows the song I'm talking about. How can we sing another song in a strange... Yeah, it's a good song. That's a good song. You guys don't know that song? By the rivers of Babylon. Nobody? Nobody? Come on, guys. Yeah, thank you. Where we... Sing it. (laughs) <laughs> I might do that But I'll spare you The common thinking amongst the exiles then was this idea They're placing exiles And this actually song, Psalm 137 says By the rivers of Babylon where we sat down And there we wept When we remembered Zion And it goes on further, it says How can we sing the songs of the Lord In a strange land In other words you guys got to understand, these, the Israelite people put so much stock in the temple and in the city, and they thought, can we even worship God here? Is God even God in Babylon? They've lost their identity. They've, they've lost their purpose. They've lost everything. And here they are in exile in this strange land and wondering, is God God? And can we worship him? And is he real here? And the common thinking amongst the exile then was this idea of a quick return to Jerusalem. They needed to go back because they've lost all sense of identity. They learned their lesson, bring us back, God, is their thinking. The other so-called prophets or the the people who said they were prophets of that day were telling them that very message. They were saying, a couple years, a couple years and you'll go back, right? Just just a little bit, it's only a little bit of time. That's what they wanted to hear, just a little bit, just a short amount of time, then you'll go back. Let me just say, if if you knew you were only somewhere for two years, You live differently than if it was for longer, don't you? Just like me, I went to seminary, it was three and a half years. And I was like, I knew I lived differently in that time. You look at your sin and what led to those two years differently than you would if it was longer, don't you? I mean, think about it this way. If you got two years of jail time for a crime, you would view that crime totally differently than if you got life in prison for that time. You follow me so far? These prophets, these so-called prophets, were telling the Israelites what they wanted to hear. They're saying, yes, you were judged, and so you came here, but you only had two years of judgment. It wasn't that bad. You'll go back. You'll go back in two years, right? That's the message that Jeremiah, the prophets, the other prophets mentioned Jeremiah's doom. But here in Jeremiah 29, he has a totally different message for the Israelites in exile, totally different. Now, before I get into the points of Jeremiah's message for the exiles, I want to share why I believe that these points can and should relate to us. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. I want to share with you guys why these points that were given to these exiles in Jeremiah 29, why they, and can they, and should they relate to us now? Okay? First, Peter calls Christians living in this world one of my favorite titles of all time. In 1 Peter 1, he calls Christians dispersed amongst the peoples and the nations. He calls them elect exiles. Have you guys heard that before, 1 Peter 1? The elect exiles. I love that, by the way. The term exile here means alien, foreigner, a sojourner. And a term that the Israelites would relate to because their people were once exiled and aliens in a strange land. Peter is saying the same thing Paul says in Philippians when he says our citizenship is in heaven. Or as Paul later describes in Hebrews 13, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This should be on the screen, by the way. If we, if we, there it is. Woohoo. Okay. People who say the things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What Paul is saying is that if, as a Christian, your citizenship, your identifying country, your passport is not of this world, but it's of the next. It's of heaven. Our identity as followers of Christ is one of elect exile. This is not our eternal home. This place is not our identity. When a soldier from the U.S. military goes off for deployment, the barracks that the soldier is in is not their home identity. The nation that they're deployed in is not their home identity. Do you guys see, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we became citizens of heaven, and while we live on earth, we are here as elect exiles, not in our home but here for a purpose. Are you guys with me so far? Do you see the correlation so far? Right, we are also exiles. So the first point, so, the, so we can relate to the Israelites in this context and glean much from the letter that Jeremiah wrote to them. So the first point that Jeremiah is making to the Israelites in this letter that he wrote to them is this. Number one, know that God sent them there. That's the first point. Israelites were sent there in judgment. We were not and I want you to hear that. The Israelites were sent there in judgment. We were not sent here in judgment but God sent them there and God sent us wherever we are sent. 29 forces. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I carried into exile. To you hear that? God sent them in judgment also to exile. The Israelites needed to know that God put them in Babylon. That he is still all powerful and that it wasn't because God didn't reach that far and was only confined to Jerusalem. Now, Jeremiah is being so clear. God carried them into exile. It was his judgment, his power, his hand, his will, his doing. He is sovereign and he is powerful. Not just where Jerusalem is, but where Babylon is. And the other gods of that region still fall to the, every whim of our God and Savior. By people, God's called you to wherever you are right now. And I know sometimes you don't want to be where you are. I know sometimes you might be thinking, well, God, you could have called me to Hawaii. <laughs> right? Sometimes you might be thinking, God, Tahiti doesn't sound too bad right now. But wherever God's called you is exactly, wherever you are is wherever God's called you to be. He's sovereign over you. He's placed you in the season and the place that you are for a reason. Trust his purposes. God, it was intentional. Yes, it was a response to the ju- judgment, but in his judgment, he chose Babylon. He chose to send his people to Babylon. We don't know why. I don't know the fullness of the plans of God. But what happened? There are some who believe that the wise men who visited Jesus, where are they from? Some believe that... They could have been from Babylon or at least what was originally Babylon because we're no longer at the time there. The idea of the wise men, the, the Magi could have been from um, Daniel. And this idea is that it's a symbol of God using his Israelite people, that he always the way he always intentionally meant to use them as to be blessings to the nations. And what happened in Babylon in the exile? So much happened, but it also happened actually in Babylon. Do you guys know the story of Esther? Right? God did miracles. We don't know why God placed you where he's placed you. And you're thinking once again, it could be Hawaii or Tahiti, but no, he's placed you here. For a reason. He's called you to where you're at. Trust that God's called you where you're at. Amen? Number two. God called the Israelites in exile to establish community, to establish community. It says here in verse five, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. They were to put down roots, houses and businesses, marriage and children, this is long range stuff. God told them to marry and have kids and watch those kids have kids. Make Babylon their home. Why? Because they are gonna be there for a while. Jeremiah later on says 70 years. Now it could be a literal 70, or it could also be figurative, the idea of seven, the whole time, God's timing. Now the person's whole lifetime also, right? Seven years is often an age, a good age of how people long, people would, someone live. As a matter of fact, even now, our average lifespan is about that if you look at the average in America. 70 years, a person's whole lifetime. That's also multiple generations. You can't go 70 years well without community. You need community to thrive and grow as people. That's the other reason. Is, is you gotta grow and thrive to grow community. God, God isn't done, wasn't done making image bearers and having plans for Israel to be a blessing to all the nations. He wanted them to be fruitful and multiply. He wanted them to have a place where they can build and hold on to the identity that God's placed them to have. My people, for us as elect exiles, we are to build community. We need each other. The church is called to advance the kingdom of God and as a body together in a strange land. We are stronger together, united for the same cause and bound by the same home. We need to establish strong roots where we live, because if we don't, it'll be radically difficult to navigate the culture of this foreign land well. Do you get that? Guys, I've said this over and over again at Waypoint Church. We believe that spiritual maturity and advancing the kingdom is not an individual assignment. It is a group project. It is a group project. We're meant to do this thing together. You're not an island. You're never meant to be an island. You're called to live out your faith, walk out spiritual maturity, become more like Jesus, and advance the kingdom together with your brothers and sisters. Can I tell you something? This is a hard concept for a lot of us. Because we're being given in America something, this kind of cultural idea of our individual fortresses, our individual islands, we have fences around our houses, we have garages where we park our cars, and we can go out and leave our home and never see anybody, or we can live just for the day. Individual freedom is what's all about, your own will and your own choice. Am I right? Yes, sir. And so here we are in this concept, this, this idea that we're called to do this thing together. What does that mean, together? What does it mean to live out in community? And so, what we're talking about here is literally is, is, is a group of people saying, establish roots, thrive, grow together. I remember my parents would tell me about when they first came to the United States as Korean immigrants. They would go to church. Now, my dad didn't want to go to church. My dad was not a Christian, but he would go to church because that's where all the Korean people went. He, he, that was his source of finding and keeping identity, finding and keeping community. And that was where he was able to go and receive that, but can I tell you so much more than his national identity as a Korean man, so much more powerful and more binding is our identity as a follower of Jesus. We need community. We need each other. When the whiners arrived in KL, they were met at the airport by a family called the Sussmans, right? Most of you guys know the Sussmans, they were also from Waypoint. But they were met at the airport. Now think about this, traveling with three little kids under the age of, how old is Esther, six, right? Three kids under the age of six, traveling across the world with all your worldly goods that you own, they left to go to a place that their kids had never been to, they've only visited once to move their whole lives. It was a difficult transition. What made it easier for them? Suspense were there. They were there to welcome them in, help them out. There were other families who were there, other believers in Jesus who said, here, let me help you with some furniture. Here, let me help you move. Here, let me show you around. Here, let me take you to this dinner. Here, let me come swim at our pool, come do this. That's what they needed because they were strangers in a strange land but they had community. What a blessing it was for them. What a blessing it was for them. They already had deep roots because of the identity and community that they had. My people, we need each other. For those times when you're sad and in the dark nights that we need someone to remind us of the joy and the living hope that we have in Jesus. For those times when we're celebrating, we need somebody to say "woohoo" with us. For those times when we feel like not working or not serving or we feel alone, we need somebody to say, "Go, keep on going. You can do this." For those times when we're hurting and we're crying, we need someone to weep along with us to make us and to remind us that God also, Jesus also wept. We need each other. The New Testament, let me just tell you guys this. The New Testament is full of one another passages. I mean, like packed full of one another passages. It says to spur one another, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, over and over and over again. So much more than it talks about a lot of the controversial issues that we'll spend most of our time talking about. Do you hear me? Yeah, we'll fight over the controversial issues, but we won't fight to keep community. You guys with me? We need community. We also called to multiply ourselves and make more image bearers. At that time, what God was telling the people, He says, Hey, go and hey, go ahead and have kids and be fruitful, be multiply, grow as a nation, grow as a people. Because God had a plan for the people of Israel that will one day lead to Jesus. And it's beautiful. But our calling to be fruitful and multiply is to make this side of the work of Jesus is to make more disciples. Not to reproduce kids as fast as we can. That's a good plan. It's okay to have kids. I'm not saying don't have kids. But what I'm saying is our call now, this side of the work of Jesus, is also to, to reproduce ourselves, to multiply, and to make more image bearers of Jesus. We're also called to, to Reproduce. We're called to advance the kingdom by making people who disciples who live and act and love like Jesus. This is how the kingdom of God advances, my people. And this is how we live as elect exiles as we want to see more people who live and act and love like Jesus. And that's how the kingdom advances. We become fruitful and multiply by making disciples. With me so far? Yes? Then number three. Jeremiah called the people to bless the city. Bless the city. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is not an insignificant statement in light of all that the people just recently went through. Do you hear me? I mean, it wasn't generations ago. It wasn't decades ago that the Israelite people were defeated by a conquering army. Their home was destroyed, people killed, and then basically kidnapped all the leaders and then exiled to a foreign land. This just happened to them. This just happened to them. It wasn't like hundreds of years ago. It wasn't in the distant past. It wasn't 50 years ago. This just happened to them. Now the prophet is telling them, right, in light of the fact that your city was conquered, your people murdered and killed, your your leaders exiled, you exiled, now seek the peace and prosperity of the city. What? How? Why? Are you, are you being serious, Jeremiah? I'd rather do what the other prophets say and say, I got two years, I gotta suffer through this, I'm gonna to try to sabotage this city as much as possible and get out of here. Right? Doesn't that make more sense? Doesn't that make more sense? But instead, God's calling the people to bless the city. And it's a crazy concept. I mean, it is an absolute crazy concept, but don't miss this. First, that God says to seek the peace and prosperity of the city for their prospering as well. Right? God wants and plans for his people to prosper alongside the city as they pray for it and seek it out. Guys, I want you to hear this. The main message, Jeremiah 29, isn't a message of seeking the welfare of the city. The main message, Jeremiah, is that God's people have hope. That's the main message. The main message is, my people, you're you're judged. And yes, here's the judgment, but I want you to know, you have hope, I will still redeem you. You have hope, I'm still sovereign. You have hope, I'm still your God. And I will keep my promises to you. That's the main message of Jeremiah 29, that God didn't abandon them in his judgment. God will restore them. We see this in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. This is a very famous verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is a message of hope to the people who are in exile. But this is also the hope that they call to live in so that they can live to bless the city as well. Because they have this eternal hope, because they have the promise that they will be restored and redeemed, they can seek the welfare and prosperity of the city that captured them, and in turn, they themselves can prosper. My people don't miss this, if this hope wasn't there, then there's no way they could pray for and seek the peace of Babylon. If they had no hope of being restored to God, if they had no hope of of redemption, then there's no way they could seek the peace of the ones who captured them, the ones who killed them, the ones who exiled them. There's no way I could. If they didn't have hope of redemption in a future return and a relenting of judgment, there's no way they could love and lift up Babylon. But because they had hope, they could change the way they live and forgive. I had the privilege one day of sitting under a, a pastor named Sam James during an event, a Summit Network Pastors event. This was about eight, nine years ago. During that time, Pastor Sam shared with us about some of his time overseas. He gave us the hard and kind of real stuff that you sort of only kind of save for for pastors, you know? He shared how while in this certain country that he was called to and he was in, he was, as well as his church, was robbed multiple times. Everything stolen. From little things just to big things, just stuff was stolen also that he was openly mocked and ridiculed by a lot of locals. Pastor Sam shared that the weather was difficult and the terrain was even worse. He said the only thing worse than his attitude, the only thing worse was his attitude. Pastor Sam shared that one night he broke down before God and he said he can't love this place and he said he can't love these people. During this evening, Pastor Sam shared that God responded to him by saying, but I do. I love this place. I love these people. And I love you, even in your state right now. Pastor Sam shared that he realized and knew that he had a living hope, and he had a living God, and a loving God. And the task of loving and serving seemed way too big for him in the midst of all the circumstances he faced but in light of the fact that he is called, redeemed, known, loved, and has a better home, how could he not help but love the ones whom God loves also? Or at least try to, is what he said. Because Pastor Sam James knew his source of hope, he could love the city he was in and seek its blessing. Well, people, sometimes it's hard to love the people that we're around, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to love the city. Sometimes it's love, hard to love the stuff that's going around. Me and, my, me and my wife the other day, I felt like an old, really old man. Cause I was like, man, these kids nowadays, jeez." <laughs> you know, all the stuff I see on TV and the media and the music and oh my goodness. And they're all so lazy. These millennials, or the, I don't it's not even lazy, but what's the next one? I don't even know what they're called. I do not know what the next one's called. Gen Z's, yeah. I'm like, oh, these young pups. (laughs) I felt so old. We were just complaining about like all the stuff that's going around and the way culture is and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, I just hate it here. You know, (laughs) I was just like, man, when did we get so old? (laughs) We're the old ones now that complain about everybody else and all the young people. But sometimes it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to look around and see how hard the world is, see how difficult the people are. Sometimes you're ministering to people and they're just hard and they're mean and they're jerks and they don't appreciate anything. Right? Some of them. I said sometimes. A lot of the times. I'm just <laughs> no, it's just reality. It's easy to do that, it's easy to look at all that's wrong. And then get bitter. It's easy to look at all that's hard and say, I want to quit. Sometimes we just want to, we're tempted to say, well, forget them anyway. Let's get in our little lifeboats. Let's get in our little rafts and just rescue our little group and just let everybody else sink and fall away. Right? Right? It's easy to think that way sometimes. But we have a God who says, I didn't do that to you. We have a God that says, I did not forsake you. I pursued you. I know you even in your weakness. And I love you and I love them. What are you going to do now? You have a living hope. You're going to be rescued. You're going to be redeemed. And all those tears that you shed will not be shed in vain. And it all be, will be made new again. That's your reality. What are you going to do now for them? Will you reach out to them? Will you seek the welfare of the city you're in? Will you seek the welfare of the community that you're in? Will you seek to bless them and find their peace? Because you have a living hope. Amen? Will you love them because God loves them? Number four, Israelite people were called to reject false messengers. To reject false messengers. Verse 8, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them to declares the Lord. Because Jeremiah's message was hard and not what people wanted to hear, they started turning to those who told them what they wanted to hear. There are people like Hananiah who said stuff like in in chapter 28, within two years, I'll bring you back. They liked that message. Two years, we can do two years. That changes completely how they might live. If it's just two years, survival mode, slip under the radar, just get through, be subversive, whatever. But that wasn't God's message. He's saying, listen to the true message. My people, can I just tell you this? And this is just truth for us now. There are a lot of false prophets and a lot of false messages given right now. Do you hear me? In our day and age, there are a lot of false messages. Maybe it's the prosperity gospel that states that because you believe Jesus, you can get whatever you want, and that the more you believe, the more material things you'll get. And some of you guys are like, well, I don't believe that. That's just foolish. But you kind of do. Right? You're a little secretive about it. But inside, you're kind of like, well, I deserve good things because I believe Jesus. And I'm a good person. Right? Nod your head with me. You hear what I'm saying? You don't have to nod your head, but in your heart, nod your heart with me. (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? Nod your heart with me. Or maybe it's a teaching that allows you to just add Jesus on like you would fire insurance. You know what I'm saying? Like, live whatever life you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. That's okay. Just make sure you said a prayer one time. Right? Maybe it's teaching that you need to earn and act and look a certain way for God to love you and to accept you. Maybe it's the teaching that God doesn't really care about the people in the world, just make sure you get a few of the ones you love, saved, and in the lifeboat, and let everybody else sink. Whatever it is, there are countless number of false prophets and false teaching going around right now. Telling you and teaching you things that are contrary to what God wants you to know and God wants you to feel, and the way he calls you to live as elect exiles. And we need to be very careful not to listen to them. Not to listen to these false words, How do we do that? How do we know what's true and what's false? How do we know what's real and what's wrong, or right and wrong, and real and not real? Fake. The opposite of not real, or real, fake. How do we do that? Well, I'll give you some ways. Number one, know the word. Now, when I say know the word, I don't mean just cherry-pick some good verses to memorize. That's good, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with memorizing. Please don't hear Lawrence about to memorize verses. No, that's not what I said. Yeah. But what I mean is don't just know like a couple of verses here and there, like Jeremiah 29, 11, for it the place I have the and be like, oh, so God will always make me prosper. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not what I'm talking about when I say know the word. I want you to know the word in this whole, an entire narrative. Know the word and how it fits together. Know the meta narrative. Know the story. Know what God is doing. Know how he uses poetry and know what he's saying in the gospel. Know what the gospel message is. Know what his heartbeat is throughout all of history, through Old and New Testament. You guys hear what I'm saying? Know the word. So that when people try to cherry pick certain things to to portray certain ideas, then you know, like, well, that doesn't fit in the whole context of scripture. You with me so far? Know the word. Number two, live the word in community. Let me say that one again. Live the word out in community. In other words, guys, I want you to understand that, yes, sometimes it's just you and your Bible and that's really good and that's great growth time. But there times, comes, can I just be real with you, that you can read one thing and be like, ooh, I don't get this at all. Or you can read something and be like, ooh, I, I think it means this. And then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, that was not what it meant. <laughs> But when you do it, God's giving you the body. He's giving you blessed scholars and teachers. He's giving you leaders to help you come together discuss and do it in community so that we can shape each other, we can sharpen each other, that we can have the word come alive in our midst, and we can live it out together in community. I also want you to know that what that means is that also know it in this historical context. God gave us wonderful 2,000 years of incredible teaching. Amazing history and tradition of scholars and pastors and people in the past who have developed and given their lives to knowing this text, knowing the word, know it in the teachings of Orthodox Christianity, know it in teachings of of, of, of understanding, but also understand it in a global community sense. Do you understand that how much of the time when we read the Bible, we read it from our own cultural lens? Do you guys understand that? I also, Some of you guys are like, I don't know, I just read the Bible for what it is. Can I just, I'm sorry. Can I just say, what well, something my professor used to say, there's no such thing as pure exegesis. All exegesis is eisegesis. What that means is literally everybody brings something to the text, right? You are always interpreting the scripture through your own lens. Do you hear that? So, but if you have the global community... You have a a lens that's so much better and bigger. We have all all these different people that we can read the scripture and text together in a global community sense. Does that make sense? Are you following me so far? Know the word, live the word of community. Three, be humble. When you approach the word and the more you read the word, guys, it shouldn't lead you to more arrogance. It should lead you to more humility. Can I just say that again? The more you know the word and the more the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you to be like Jesus, do you know what it doesn't do? What it shouldn't do? It shouldn't lead you to more arrogance. It should lead you to more humility. I've always said this, one of the best and most clear signs of of spiritual maturity that I've seen in my life is humility. To me, that's a clear sign that you're walking more and more with the Lord, is you're walking in humility, not in arrogance. And last, listen to the Spirit. Listen to this spirit as you're walking in community, as you're knowing the word, as you're in the word together. That's how you fight against false teaching and false prophets. And last point, know that the exile will end. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah was clear to the Israelites there was an end to the exile coming at some point for, so for them to live in that hope with those purposes in mind. Establish homes, seek the welfare of the city, but know that one day you will return home. My people, we don't know how long we will live on this earth as elect exiles. We do know that at some point it will come to an end. Now I want you to get this, the temptation of the Israelites was not to establish roots in Babylon. I think our temptation is the opposite. Our roots are way established in Babylon. Do you hear me? More often than not, we like it here. More often than not, we forget where our true and eternal home is. We get caught up more in this life than the next. We don't live like our exile will one day come to an end. Let me plead with you really quickly, my people. This is from my heart, and I want you to hear this to all of you and to myself. Please don't forget eternity. Don't forget that this is not your home. Live as if you truly be one day in your eternal home and one day this is just a spot where you were sent to be a diplomat and ambassador. But this is not your home. This is not your home. You were meant for more. You were meant for a home where there are no more tears. You were meant for a home and a reality where you are perfectly in sync and in tune with the one you were made to be and to love and to know, where you utterly and fully know what it means to be beloved. No more anxiety, no more fear, no more pain, no more racism and hatred and genocide, no more bigotry, no more hurt. You were meant for a home like that. That's why our spirit and our hearts long for it. We're meant for it. We're made in the image of God. Guys, don't forget this home, even though it's comfortable, even though it's easy to dig roots deep down and think this is the only life there is to live, it is not our home. Don't live like it is. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that God, that our citizenship is in heaven. God, our identity, our passport is your kingdom. So God, while we're here, while you sent us here as elect exiles, may we live for you. Knowing that you've called us, knowing that you're using us to advance your kingdom here on this place as it is in heaven. God, may we seek the blessing and the welfare of our our city. May we seek the blessing and the welfare of our Babylon. And God, may we not fall victim to false teachings and prophets, and may we live in reality of our true home. We love you, and we praise you that our redemption is secure. Our home is with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Imagine
2: the scene with me. Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. He's journeyed with them. And repeatedly told them, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. It says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As we come to the table this morning, Jesus gives us a meal to participate in. I often tell people this is not a magical snack. It doesn't do anything for you, except that it is more than an object lesson. It's an opportunity to rehearse the good news of the gospel for you, for us. And we do it together as Lawrence encouraged us this morning. We aren't meant to do this alone. So in a moment, we're going to invite you to come forward. We'll have servers up here to hand you the bread as a reminder that this is a gift to you. And you'll take that bread and dip it in the cup, representing Jesus' blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So the Lord's Supper is simply a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice, We we look back, we remember what Christ accomplished, that we owed a debt that was way bigger than we could ever pay because of our sin. And he took that debt upon himself. And so we remember his sacrifice and and then we celebrate his presence. Part of what Jesus is telling us is that He is present with us and he does that in the church, in community. And so one of the reasons we don't just pass out the elements to you this morning is the tangible reminder that we receive the good news of Jesus through one another. And so we will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. So it's a celebration that Jesus is here. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, we are united with him and we celebrate in this meal his presence. But not only is it a a remembrance and a celebration, but it's an anticipation. It's an appetizer. You know, it's just a a little cracker and we dip it in the cup and it's kind of lackluster, right? And I think there's something um, formative about that. Because Jesus says there's going to be a meal one day in my kingdom and we're going to feast together at my table. But I'm not going to I'm not going to take this meal again until that day. And so when we come this morning, we're not just remembering or celebrating, we're anticipating. We're looking forward to that future hope that one day we will not be exiles. So I want to invite our servers to come up and... um, as we come, I invite you to come in the center aisles. We'll have a server for each section. And um, as the servers come, I'm going to invite the, our worship band to come first and partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we do, we remember. Remember the gospel. Celebrate Jesus. That his presence is here in his body. And as you take it, you can take it right away or you can take it back to your seat and reflect. But as you take it, remember that this is an appetizer. It's a foretaste. It's an anticipation that our hope is yet to come. So when you're ready, come to the table. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that your blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We remember, celebrate, and we anticipate our living hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you are.